It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It feels like the beginning of a 30 for 30. What if I told you that without Willie Adamas, without Hunter Renfro, without Freddie Peralta, and not using Devin Williams at all, that the Brewers would get a split with the Cardinals on the road over the weekend in St. Louis. I think you'd take that, wouldn't you? Well, that's exactly what just happened. Let's work on the holiday. Happy Memorial Day. This is Locked On Brewers. You are Locked On Brewers, your daily Milwaukee Brewers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good morning from wherever you may be listening from or whatever day it may be. Obviously, this episode is dropping on Monday, but if you're listening today or even on Tuesday, thanks for making us your first listen of the day. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline has you covered all season with more, more props, more odds, and more lines than ever before. BetOnline is where the game starts. I'm Dominic Catronio. I'm the statistician of Valley Sports Wisconsin, bringing you your only daily podcast for your Milwaukee Brewers this baseball season. We talked about the Brewers and the Cardinals on Friday, recapping Thursday's game. We've got a lot to get to over the weekend. Of course, your mailback questions as well. And some big news dropping right before yesterday's game. We're going to start off with that. Ethan Small is preparing to make his big league debut today. For the Milwaukee Brewers, he will be starting Game 1, doubleheader today against the Cubs. Remember, this is the makeup from opening weekend with the rain out then. It'll be Ethan Small in Game 1, the left-hander out of Mississippi State, making his big league debut this year in AAA. He is 3-1 with a 1.88 ERA, 38 innings, 49 strikeouts, 21 walks. More on that in a little bit later. Uh, he'll be going up against also a big league debut in Matt Swarmer. He's not a top prospect in the Cubs organization, long time in their org. 3-1 record and a 2.08 ERA in AAA Iowa for the right-hander Swarmer getting the ball for the Cubbies. So again, doubleheader today, and it's a split doubleheader, mind you. So game one will be a 1 o'clock first pitch coming up down at Wrigley, and they're rather 12.05, I beg your pardon, 12.05 first pitch down at Wrigley, and then with the split doubleheader, game two will definitely start at 6.40, unless something crazy like Oregon State-UCLA happens. Did you happen to catch that over the weekend, by the way? It was crazy. Look it up if you haven't heard about it, but a nine-run bottom of the ninth comeback. They played for like six hours. It was crazy. Conference tournament weekend, of course, in college baseball. Chaos ensues. Pac-12 after dark. Everybody loves it. But that's huge. Ethan Small getting the start. Game one of this doubleheader. It was implied when Freddie Peralta went down that you're going to need to fill a hole on this rotation. I said it on this podcast last week saying, look, I know they say they want to have a five-man rotation. There's no way in the long run they want to keep this five-man rotation. However, this does work out very well for them. They will be adding small to the 40-man roster, and there is a spot for him available on the 40-man. You don't have to DFA anybody. You don't have to outright anybody. You're totally fine with that. But this works out really well because, again, he's going to be on the 40-man this offseason. And for a little while longer, you have the two spots available from the suspensions of uh, Severino and J.C. Mejia. So you don't have to worry about those two 40-man spots as things stand right now. But with the rotation, with him getting the start today on Monday, if you look ahead you know, on his next sixth day, so if you go Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, so that's four days, Saturday, Sunday, 
So he could pitch on Sunday on the sixth day against the Padres. And then you go back into some more regular schedule. You have back-to-back Monday off days on the 6th and 13th. You won't necessarily need him thanks to getting an extra day of rest for your starting rotation. Will they keep him? I imagine so. Why just have him do one and done in the 40-man roster? Uh, That remains to be seen. That's just an observation from my end saying, look, Ethan Small might be sticking around for a while here, and it works out perfectly with the timing as they get ready to wrap up this long marathon stretch of 18 games in 17 days. They are in the home stretch, eight more games over the next week, and they finally have an off day a week from today. So congratulations to Ethan Small and his family. Hope the family can make it up to Chicago and see him pitch. He's a Tennessee native. Uh, Again, out of Mississippi State, he's third all-time in strikeouts in their school history. Uh, Same alma mater, of course, as Brandon Woodruff, and uh, he seems he's ready. And with the walks, though, that's the biggest thing that concerns most scouts. The fastball plays up, gets a lot of swings and misses in the zone. The changeup, his best secondary offering, just falls off the table. He doesn't have anything really other than that. He's worked hard on a slider this year, according to reports and according to scouts, but by looking at these walk numbers, Pretty much the same as he was in all of 2021. He threw he threw 77 innings last season in the minor leagues. He had just about a 5 per 9 walk rate. That's identical to what he has right now. When it comes to walks and it comes to jumping from AAA to the big leagues, you hear about it all the time. The big leagues is just a different animal. Will he be able to find success with chases? Maybe it's that new... You know, the new car smell, if you will, of not being familiar with Ethan Small will help him get things going against the Cubs in this one. The The walks are going to be the big concern. That's going to be what everyone's eye is going to be on in the first two innings. Is Ethan Small's command there? Are they chasing the pitches they're supposed to chase? Is he getting swings and misses on the fastballs that are in the zone? Because it's a funky motion if you see it for the first time. The ball really jumps on you. It surprises you. It's only 91 to 94, but again, the perceived velocity is something that really helps Ethan Small, and the deception that he has allows that fastball to play up, and you see some ugly swings on a fastball. When you look up at the radar gun, and you're like, wait a minute, that was 92? Why did he swing at that like that? That's what you're going to see, hopefully today, in game one of this doubleheader. 12.05, first pitch today against the Cubs. Let's go back to the weekend now. Uh, we got your mailbag questions coming up in just a little bit. But I'm just going to go through all four games in case you missed Friday's episode. Just going to go through all four games with three big things from each game. First and foremost, Thursday, Brewers, victory, 4-3. to three. Remember, going into this game, it was huge because Josh Hader was returning to the team. Devin Williams was going to be on the sidelines given he had just pitched in three consecutive days. And Josh Hader did return. That's the number one thing out of this game. Josh Hader did return. The bullpen was extremely strong. Yes, Trevor got a lot of home runs at the highest hitter on the planet, Paul Goldschmidt. But aside from that, Trevor Kelly and Trevor Gatt, and then also Brad Boxberger, slammed the door in front of Josh Hader getting it done. The second big thing from that game, everybody had a hit on Thursday. 12 hits for the Brewers against the Cardinals. And off of Adam Wainwright starting the game, who had come in with a sub-3 ERA. Very encouraging to see the offense continue to click uh, as the summer starts to come around. It's been on again and off again. I know you're screaming at the radio right now saying, Dom, like, they've been cold. The runners in scoring position, their opportunities, I get it. I understand what you're saying. But when you have outbursts like this against a good pitcher like Wainwright, you have to note it and credit it and say, wait a minute, it's in there. You know it's in there for this offense as it's currently constructed. And the third big thing of it is that the pitching staff held the Cardinals Batters three through nine in their order. 
Again, the Cardinals three through nine hitters. It starts with Arenado. They went two for 20 in this game. Incredible. Great, great work by the Brew Crew. And it was a win for uh, Eric Lauer in a game that he did not have his best stuff. Only struck out one batter, had multiple walks, but they got the job done. That's all that really mattered. Now, Friday, game two. Brewers fall in this game by a final of 4-2. to The number one big thing out of this, and there'll be an update on this in a moment, that Woodruff, Brandon Woodruff exited this game after four innings uh, with a tweaked right ankle. It was called right ankle inflammation. Have an update on that in just a little bit. So everyone was holding their collective breath on Friday night. Second big thing from this, Tyrone Taylor asserted himself as an everyday player yet again. This has been a great road trip for Tyrone. He continues to impress everybody. He is taking this opportunity and running away with it. He goes two for four in this game, had another run scored. Uh, It's really encouraging to see the 28-year-old get things done right now when the team is asking him to get it done. And third and finally, Keston Hira back, showing signs of life. Hits a home run off of Cody Whitley in the ninth inning. Avoids the shutout. It forces the Cardinals to use their closer in the ninth inning. Keston turned on that one, crushed it to left field. A great sign from Hira. Brewers fall Friday. So now it's one game apiece. Saturday was no fun at all. Saturday, the Brewers fall by a final of 8-3. to But again, Keston Hira, there he is again. Goes yard for back-to-back games. Technically, he went yard in back-to-back big league games at the beginning of May when he returned for the walk-off homer. But other than that, the last time he did it was last August. So... The fact that Keston goes yard in back-to-back days, certainly encouraging for him. It was a sloppy game overall. There was some bad defense. Cardinals even committed three errors in this one. Brewers committed one. Probably should have been two errors in this game. Just it, it, when it rains, it pours. I've said this a few times on the podcast now. It's really odd to see when the Brewers just kick it around a little bit. And then finally, the bullpen, though, on a brighter note, despite losing 8-3 to three in this game, and it was all against Adrian Hauser, eight runs, five of them earned, the bullpen mopped it up. The final four innings of this game, they did not allow a run, and they did not allow a walk. And that was not with the A bullpen, mind you, either. This was with you know some of the guys that are begging for work as of late. The guys like Brent Suter, the guys like Trevor Kelly, the guys like Hobie Milner, the guys like Miguel Sanchez. Now, Suter did not pitch in this game, but between Milner, Kelly, and Sanchez, again, four shutout innings, no walks, and three strikeouts. And I know you're saying, hey, it's a blowout. They're just giving up. You know, the Cardinals are laying their bats down. If a dude's bunting when you're up 8 nothing, they're not laying their bats down. They're still trying to score runs. And your rivals, you're not going to lay your bats down against your rivals. Crazy things happen in baseball. So the Brewers, you know, B bullpen, and I mean that lightly, gets the job done and keeps it mopped up. And finally, yesterday, Sunday, Brewers win 8 nothing. This was maybe the most complete win of the year for the Brewers. Uh, as far as quality pitching, number one, Corbin Burns. Cy Burns is back. Wow, what a day for Corbin. He goes seven innings, shutout ball, just two hits allowed, one walk, 11 strikeouts, his 16th career double-digit strikeout game, and it's his 15th since the start of 2020. That is tied for the most in the big leagues. They outduel Miles Michaelis, who they tag for nine hits and six earned runs, including a pair of home runs from uh, Jace Peterson and Rowdy Telez. Telez is the first of 10 homers. Now, the three big things from this. Number one, Burns is back. That was awesome to see. All of his pitches were on in this game, and he agreed after the game as well. Second, five through nine in the Brewers' order all had multi-hit games. Maybe you say, well, what about the top four? They should be doing more. Yes, they went a total, a combined total of one for 19. But 
the fact that Telez, Taylor, Narvaez, Peterson, and Kane all had multiple hits, and that leads me to my third big point. Lorenzo Kane, a three for four day, his first homer of the year. Could have been a four for four day if it wasn't for a great running catch in right field. But Kane's back. Kane just showed signs of life all of a sudden. To see this from the bottom half of the order, again, proves it's in there. The Brewers are trying to untap it here at, at on Memorial Day. This is when the season gets real. And this is a mailbag question coming up a little bit later. So great to see Kane get things going and uh, find a way to lean back and get one over the wall. The overall numbers still aren't pretty. I'm not saying he's infinitely back for sure. Lock him in. It's just great for him to see some results, and he agreed after the game as well. I want to get into overall thoughts and preview uh, just some notes and injury notes as well. Before we do that, I want to tell you about one of our newest partners, Athletic Greens. You've heard me talk about AG1, that I've implemented it in my daily routine. If you all don't already know, I'm a caddy at Aaron Hills Golf Course as well. So that's my morning. So I, I call them triple headers, where I start my morning, where I go straight to Aaron Hills and I caddy. And then I come back and do the Brewer game, and then I come here and do the podcast. So that's a triple header for me. And AG1 keeps me sharp. It's my morning coffee, and my AG1 is how I get things going. It's something I take every day because, look, you need to have – no one has enough time in the day, and especially me. You get better gut health. You get better natural energy and an optimized immune system. You don't have to take a million multivitamins every day. This is the perfect start to your day. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals – whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to easily integrate into your routine. It costs less than $3 a day, you guys. It's investing in your health, and it's cheaper than drinking cold brew on every single day. You're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. And Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. They've been recommended by professional athletes, trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. And look, the founder of it was created when the when they were experiencing so much gut health issues and trying to find some more energy and was concocting a really comp- complicated supplement routine, it was like $100 a day. No, let's just find a way to put all this into AG1, and that is where you at, where you find AG1 with Athletic Greens. So right now, you can reclaim your health and your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. Nothing crazier than that. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash MLB network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash MLB network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed overarching themes from this. I know there was a lot of outrage seeing yesterday's lineup with Keston Hira not in the order against a right-handed pitcher, given he had just hit homers in back-to-back games. I'm getting to that in the mailbag segment, so stick around with me on this. I'm surprised, and I'm not really a member of Cardinals Twitter, to say the least, but I'm surprised at the lack of outrage or if there was even a, a comment made about the fact that Harrison Bader and Nolan Arenado did not play this game against Corbin Burns. And I want to elaborate on this. So now both team, both series have been splits. 
against the Cardinals and the Brewers. Two and two here in Milwaukee, two and two down in St. Louis now. And this was an opportunity for St. Louis to take the upper hand moving forward. The reason why that's important, remember, we have expanded postseason this year. Six teams on either side will get into the postseason. And the big valuable piece is making sure that you're the top two division winners. If you win your division and you're the top two seeds, you get a buy out of the wildcard round. The wildcard round is a single three-game series against one of the wildcard teams. As it stands right now, I mean, it looks like the Cardinals are probably going to find their way into the postseason. And I still believe that this division is going to come down to the last week of the year. I said this on, you know, opening week. But I just found it odd that Arnauto and Bader, you know, definitely, I mean, Arnauto, the best third baseman in baseball. And Bader, a great defensive center fielder. He gives you speed. He's had a good series. He always torches the Brewers. But if you're going to bench those guys, bench them tomorrow. Bench them later you know, in another day, and you're just coming off of a Wednesday off day, mind you, getting ready for this four-game series. And maybe they're under the weather, maybe there was something else going on, but, I mean, the Padres are coming to town. You're at, you're in a massive homestand right now. Give them the day off on Monday, not against a divisional opponent, a team that you're going to try to catch at the end of the season. So I thought that was a notable gift that Ali, Ali Monroe gave to the Brewers by not playing those guys. And looking ahead at the schedule, so you got a four-gamer, here in Milwaukee coming up in June. That's the next time the Brewers see them, June 20th through 23rd. And then you will not see the Cardinals until after the trade deadline in August. Remember, the trade deadline's August 2nd. Brewers won't see the Cardinals again until they go there for a three-game series in mid-August. So to have them staring at a split, you know, four and four apiece, while waiting to come back here to Milwaukee, when they could have been up five games to three at this point, Sounds a whole lot better than being 4-4. Four and four. So keep that in mind as we head down the stretch here. I know we're only on Memorial Day. It's only May 30th. But this is going to be a race that is going to come down to the wire. And every single victory matters. No matter if it's a blowout, if it's a one-run game, every single victory matters. So remember that for the tiebreakers. You play 19 games head-to-head. So somebody's going to win the series. It's going to come down to the end. Next, uh, another observation from this series and getting ready for the Cubs. The A bullpen, the primary bullpen, they're ready to rip. You didn't need them really at all over the weekend for good and bad reasons. Obviously, you got blown out on Saturday. You were trailing on Friday, so you didn't want to use them. The fact that you only used Josh Hader on Thursday uh, and for Devin Williams to get the break he needed after pitching three consecutive days and working out perfectly at the Brewers split with the Cardinals, that's super important. And furthermore, the fact that Boxberger gets some rest. Trevor Gott gets some rest. These guys have been used like crazy as of late. So the fact that you didn't use them the last three days and you're going into a doubleheader today, your A bullpen is available. Eight games in seven days, it's going to be hard. But to give them those three days off leading into this final stretch of tough baseball, remember that. Remember that going into this week. Uh, good good job by the guys like Hopi Milner and Suter and Sanchez. And obviously they placed Luis Perdomo on the I.L., but to have those guys eat innings and keep the AE bullpen out of it, huge. Absolutely huge. Finally, some injury notes and get you some updates before we get into the mailbag here in just a second. The injury notes, first and foremost, Willie Adamas is on his rehab assignment. And good news. He was starting down in Zebulon in the low A Carolina Mudcats in the Carolina League. And he started as a DH. He goes one for two with an opposite field home run there at Five County Stadium down in North Carolina. Uh, he will be joining Nashville today 
against the Durham Bulls, so he doesn't even have to leave North Carolina. He takes a 20-minute drive from Five County Stadium to Durham Bulls Athletic Park. So that'll be great for him. He plays today. Normally, Mondays are off days in the minor leagues. It'll be tomorrow, given the Memorial Day holiday. And then he will play again on Wednesday and expects to rejoin the team on Thursday against uh, the homestand with the Padres coming to town. So that's great news that Willie's coming out so far unscathed. Next injury update. Teased this earlier with Brandon Woodruff exiting the game on Friday with ankle inflammation. It sounds like he's not going to miss a start. He is... The Brewers are still coy about putting him TBD on Wednesday. His next day two-pitch would be Wednesday against those Cubs. Uh, both Greg Council and Brandon Woodruff do not expect him to miss that start. So that's very good news for Woodruff that it was just a thing that flared up on him. Hey, look, we've all been there. When you're getting older, random things hurt. It happens. So Brandon Woodruff will be starting, expected to start, I should say, on Wednesday. And finally, our last injury note comes with Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro told reporters yesterday he plans to be ready to be activated on Friday when he's first eligible to come off the injured list. Remember, he was placed on the 10-day injured list with a hamstring issue that he suffered in Game 1 against San Diego. For Renfro, remember, he was white hot right when he got hurt. It was terrible timing. On the year, he's hitting 266. He's got a 503 slugging, seven doubles, nine homers on the year. He is key protection for guys like Rowdy Telez, for guys like Willie Adamas, because he can bat fourth, he can bat sixth. He can do a lot for this team. And his protection and his hot. So since the Brewers went down to Atlanta in the first week of first week of May, he was hitting 340 with three doubles, four homers, and nine runs batted in, a 383 on base, and a 623 slugging in those 13 games. White, white hot. But then he pulls the hamstring. So if he is eligible to come back and the Brewers feel he's ready on Friday. Lineup gets deeper because the day before, Willie Adamas will have returned, and you feel right back to normal again. This is the hard stretch. A 10-day road trip with 11 games in it. Everybody in baseball would take a 6-5 and five road trip on that kind of scenario. The fact is, right now, the Brewers are sitting at four wins and three losses. They're facing a, a team that they are better than in the Cubs in the next four games. So if you're going to take 6-5, and five, just take another split from the Cubs, and you're happy. You want to get greedy and go 7-4? and four? Let's see it happen. But you're still going to have to do it without Renfro and without Adamas, and you're going to have a rookie getting the start today in Game 1 of the doubleheader. Let's see how that goes for the Brew Crew. So Renfro plans to be back on Friday. Remains to be seen. Keep it locked right here for all the updates in regards to that. Let's get to your mailbag questions. Before we do that, I want to take a quick break. Nothing crazy on the mailbag this week. Uh, I want to start with a fun one right off the bat from Nick asking about any news on the City Connect jersey right now for the Brewers. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been seeing uh, leaks pop up on uh, social media saying that, oh, they found the hats and it looks like the MKE and the 414 mirror image kind of looking thing. I, I have, I honestly, honest to goodness, I see a lot of cool things in the booth. I have never seen the actual jersey i have no confirmation all the leaks that you are seeing are the same ones that i'm seeing and it's the first time i'm seeing it i've seen the brew crew logo underneath that hat i've seen the powder blue concept i have no idea what they're going to look like but they don't come out until june uh, june 24th is when they will be unveiled the rockies just unveiled theirs this week and those are phenomenal by the way the green with the mountain look like the old license plates Phenomenal. Angels, they will be the next team in two weeks. In fact, those leaked over a beach-colored jersey. Those look kind of clean. And the Padres will have one come out 
in July as well. So I have no further update on the City Connect jerseys. Next question themed around Keston here. There are multiple questions about Keston here. Let's get to the good stuff now. So Keston here, what's with the lineup with Keston here? How do you fit him in? Adam asked this. Kevin asked this. Other folks in my mentions asked this. I'm just saying, how do you get Keston here in? But let's tap the bricks for a second. Keston's had a great week. It's been great to see, and I'm very happy for him. He's only got 64 plate appearances in the big leagues this year. And he's a guy, in my opinion, that needs consistent ABs. He's hitting 250. That's nice. He's got five homers. That's great. 12 RBIs and limited playing time. But 27 strikeouts. The strikeouts aren't going anywhere right now for Keston. I know we talk about his new mechanics, and we talk about how he's seen the ball better. He is being more selective. He's taking more pitches. But I'm the skeptic, and I'm the, you know, the realist of saying, cool, it's great that he's trying. Let's just see this sample size get bigger. Talk to me when it's 120, 140 plate appearances. And if he's still got a 42% strikeout rate, you got to take the good with the bad, right? So the dude also doesn't have another extra base hit aside from the homers. I thought that was a weird anomaly. The dude makes loud contact. But a lot of it, you know, with him, his hands are so fast. It seems like this year it's been every loud contact he's made has been over the wall. So I'd like to see him maybe spray the ball a little bit more. We've seen a couple oppo shots from him this season. How do you fit Keston in? It's weird because he's got reverse splits, and we know the Brewers follow a strict platoon. How do you fit him in against a right-handed pitcher? My answer would be put him in the DH spot over Andrew McCutcheon. Uh, I know that may not sound normal, but look, if they're so comfortable in the platoons, let's talk about the elephant in the room. McCutcheon had a really, really tough start to this road trip right now. He's grounded into multiple double plays. Uh, he's... You know, he's been asked to play left field a couple of times. He's done fine out there. But remember, he was brought here to hit against lefties. And yes, it's been a stop and start season for him with the COVID injury, with the COVID IL. Look at his splits right now. He's hitting 237 against lefties, 242 against righties. He's got a, a better OPS against lefties, though, 742. Two of his three homers have come off of lefties, granted in only 41 plate appearances. His OPS against righties is 606. Let's put Keston Hira in there. I mean, Keston Hira splits are drastic against righties, a 370 average. All five of his homers have been off righties. Five walks, 12 strikeouts, 10 for 27. Whereas against lefties, the reverse splits, he's only hitting 138 off lefties. So you may see him against Drew Smiley in game two tonight. I, I just think that the numbers are telling us this is not the case. He's got reverse splits. Have him start against righties. Make it a strict platoon. McCutcheon against lefties as the DH. And Hira as the DH against righties. Let's give him the chance. Let's give him the chance to get more ABs. You're going to face a lot of righties. And then McCutcheon can still come off the bench. McCutcheon can still play left field. And speaking of playing left field, Christian Yelich hasn't had a day off in the entire month of May. I wouldn't be surprised if he misses at least one of these doubleheader games today. But that shocked me when I was looking at it. He hasn't had an off day since the last week of April. He's only missed one game all season. He's, pro he's probably way overdue for an off day right now. So I think that's where you find it uh, in this next week or so. What would the lineup look like at full strength? This question comes from Alex. So right now, Alex su suggested have Urias leading off, Yelich batting second, Adamas batting third. I still would flip Yelich and Adamas because Adamas is your better consistent on-base threat and power threat. I know Yelich draws walks, but... He's been really struggling as of late. I still like Willie in the two-hole because then 
Yelich can give you a good AB if there's a man on base for him. You have to pitch to Willie knowing that a Yelich is behind him because he can do damage. I know it's been hit or miss with Yelich, but that's a good setup there. They also have Rowdy in the cleanup spot, Renfro in the five spot. I like those two arrangements. He slides Wong to the sixth spot in the order. Let me counter you with that, Alex, that against righties, I want to put Wong in the nine hole, and here's why. You get that double lead off, and I want to put Urias leading things off. Put Wong in the nine hole until he proves that he can get some more consistent ABs going right now. He's been striking out a little more, a lot of ground balls for Colton this season, not as much power. Uh, and I'm still looking to see with this lineup against a righty, you would have Hira as the DH batting eighth right ahead of him, Omar batting seventh as the catcher. I have Tyrone batting sixth, Renfro and Rowdy in five and four, just like Alex. But then against lefties, I don't even have Wong in the lineup. It, it just hasn't been there this season. If we're going to continue this strict platoon, talking about McCutcheon and Hira, well, let's talk about Colton Wong getting continuing starts against left-handed pitching. Is it drastic? Maybe. But right now, it's just not there like it was last season. Remember, he torched left-handed pitching last season. Currently, he's only hitting 108 against lefties. 108. 265 against righties. Until he proves he can hit lefties, I don't want him to, to continue to struggle against these guys. He's getting contact. He's not striking out a ton. His bad bip is just 133 against lefties, just proving that he's not getting the contact that he wants to. So I'm taking Wong out of the lineup. I'm putting Kutch in as the DH against lefties. I'm putting Mike Brasso as the starting second baseman. And I'm also keeping Hero on the bench. As we just noted, his reverse splits, he's not great against lefties. In a pinch, if you do end up optioning Brasso back down to AAA uh, when Willie Adamas comes back, then you would put Hira in a pinch at second base, or you put Jace Peterson in a pinch at second base, or even Luis Arias at second base, and then you put you would keep Brasso in that situation and put him at third, or have stick with it with Jace. And then see how this gets. It just becomes a a walking contradiction between well, if Jace can face lefties, why can't Colton? And if Colton can face lefties, why can't Rowdy? I think Rowdy should play every day, whether it's lefty or righty. He's your best defensive first baseman, and he gives you a power threat. He's got ten homers. That's my thought. What is uh when is early over and what is a proper sample size? When does when does all of this happen? It's a great question actually. Uh, for starters, it's right about now. This is Memorial Day is when the the season gets real. You're more than a quarter of the way into the year. You're nearly a third of the way into the year. This is when it gets real. For starters, I say after ten to twelve starts, it's not early anymore. We know who you are. For relievers, twenty to twenty five innings. We know who you are. You're probably going to throw fifty to sixty innings. For some guys like Boxberger, maybe 80. So we know who you are. For position players, for hitters, about 150 plate appearances to 200 plate appearances. That's when you're like, all right, it's not early anymore. We know what you got. 100 plate appearances, you can see a trend, and then you can confirm it by 150 plate appearances and 200 plate appearances. Good question there. Finally, first pitch swings and misses. First pitch strikes is from Close Yelich Observer. The team has been all over the place as far as attacking the first pitch. When teams, you know, specifically with Yelich, he was asking about the amount that he's been taking first pitch. And this past weekend, he was swinging a lot at the first pitch. Uh, first and foremost, the Brewers have the most pitches per plate appearance in all of baseball on average. They average over four pitches per PA. That is the most in uh, baseball. And then furthermore, when they put the first pitch in play yet, they're hitting 346. It's not the best in baseball, but it's pretty darn good. But when they swing at the first pitch, it doesn't matter whether or not it's put in play. It can be a swing and miss. It can be a foul ball. It can be put in play. And at bats, 
that include a first pitch swing, the Brewers are hitting 246, which isn't bad at all. I like that. Whereas when they take the first pitch, they're only hitting 231. Granted, the sample size is more than doubled when you take the first pitch as opposed to when you swing at the first pitch. But for a guy like Yelich, he's actually better when he swings at the first pitch, when he's aggressive, not when he's taking a pitch. Because how many times do we see him just take one right down the middle? Let's see him get aggressive, catch a hitter off, catch a pitcher off balance. I like Yelich being aggressive. I'm all for that. Smart aggression is good. If he's swinging at strikes, keep it up. I'm all for it. Whereas a guy like Willie Adamas, he swings a ton at the first pitch, and it may not be great for him. He's only hitting 130 when he swings at the first pitch. Whereas when he takes strike one or takes a pitch, he's doing much better. He's hitting nearly 270. Omar Narvaez, almost the exact same thing. So not everybody can do it, but if you can, like Andrew McCutcheon, keep doing it. Uh, that was a really interesting question. Finally, let's wrap up this episode. Just a reminder of the rotation for the week against the Cubs. Doubleheader today, 12.05 and uh, 6.40 tonight uh, with the doubleheader. Ethan Small making his big league debut against Matt Swarmer. And then game two will be Aaron Ashby getting the start against Drew Smiley. Tuesday, tomorrow, will be Eric Lauer, 5-1, 2.31 ERA, against Justin Steele, lefty, dun-dun-dun-dun, lefty is 1-5, a 5.40 ERA, Smiley, by the way, is a lefty, I forgot to give him that treatment, and finally, Wednesday, Brandon Woodruff, we expect him to make the start against Kyle Hendricks, Woodruff's 5-3, a 4.74, Hendricks a 2-5, a 5-2-0. That's it. Long episode. Thanks for hanging with me. If you're listening on your uh, off day, getting ready to drive down to Wrigley, hang out, fly the L, love it, have some fun down at Wrigley. Uh, Hope uh, we see you at the ballpark on Thursday. Four-game set coming up with the Padres. New episode coming right back here tomorrow. I'm Dominic Catronio. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at LockedOnBrewers. Subscribe to our YouTube. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So these fall in your inbox every single morning. Until next time, keep on swinging. You are Locked On Brewers, your daily Milwaukee Brewers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 